last week. Uh, for those of us uh, who were here or who were able to listen uh, to the sermon, uh, we'll remember we were in Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll recall that the background for Ephesians chapter 3 was that God is making the church into a temple for his dwelling. And so uh, Paul uh, prayed for, uh, for the church that they would be strengthened by the Spirit and that uh, they would have strength to comprehend, to, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We saw that there's great riches to be had in Christ, and yet we often settle for far less than what is told we have in Christ. And so today, I want us to go a little bit further. We, we uh, saw this prayer for the fullness of God. This is what is held up before us, that we might experience the fullness of God. And now, Paul's argument continues in chapter 4. He has all these truths, these great truths of the faith that Christ is reigning above all things now in heaven and that he has blessed his people with all blessings in the heavenly places and that Christ is filling all things. And out of these truths, Paul then exhorts the church Right, And so uh, chapters 4 to the end of Ephesians are going to be all about walking in in the manner uh, of our calling. It's going to be about uh, the church living out of the truths that Paul has been expounding in the first three chapters. Brothers and sisters, our, uh, our way of living springs out of the truths that we know of God. That is true of the Christian walk. And so uh, I want us to see from this uh, chapter, I want us to be exhorted to walk in a manner worthy of your calling for the building up of the church. Again, walk in a manner worthy of your calling for the building up of the church. That's what we'll see today. So we start with uh, the first Three verses, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of this calling? Paul tells us here, with humility and gentleness, and patience. These qualities are all qualities that are found most exemplified, perfectly exemplified in Christ. And so uh, this uh, calling, this, this manner that we are to walk is true of all that would follow Christ, right? So all of us who, who are in Christ, this is a call for everyone, that we should be Humble, gentle, and patient. These uh, attributes perfectly demonstrated in Christ. We see him demonstrate his humility most perfectly as Paul explains in Philippians 2 that uh, Christ, he uh, humbled himself by becoming man, by taking on flesh, and by dying 
He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. This is our Savior, brothers and sisters. We can't look at this Savior and then puff ourselves up in pride. No, we have no right to be, to, to harbor pride and to, to, uh, to, to lack humility. We, we cannot, we cannot look at Christ and lack humility. And we also see Christ's gentleness in the way that he teaches and shepherds. He is the good shepherd who shepherds the, the flock. He's not harsh when people come to him in need of healing, in need of instruction, he is not harsh, he is not crude. So he is gentle. And we know, we all know how Christ has demonstrated his patience, how he demonstrates his patience with us, though we wander, how he has given us second chance and third chance and fourth chance, how he is gracious and kind to forgive us of our sins. Brothers and sisters, we have a patient God. And so, walking in a manner worthy of the call of Christ means that we should see these attributes in our lives. And now, we also see this other element of of the call. Paul says, uh, to do all these things, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So there is a, this, this unity piece. This means to be diligent in keeping the unity of the Spirit. So we must be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Now, I want to come back uh, to this point after we consider uh, what Paul will uh, how Paul continues in verses 4 to 6. He goes on to explain the unity of the Spirit. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And so this is uh, reminiscent of Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we read in our scripture reading. There is a oneness to the church, a cohesive oneness. The sort of unity that Jesus was praying for is the same sort of unity that Paul talks about here. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us to think about the unity of the church. It is a fact that there is one body and there is one spirit in the church. And so, the church cannot be divided. Right? And so as I say that, that the church cannot be divided, I'm sure we are, it raises all sorts of questions, right? When we look at the church, we see there are all manners of division. What are we to make of this? The church is divided uh, into different denominations. There's some denominations that stem over uh, distinctions between secondary issues where we simply have to we have to say something about baptism, right? We have to say something about how we are to do certain things. And, and so, brothers and sisters, there are certain distinctions that develop in this manner, 
And there are other distinctions that are more rooted at the, the primary issues of the faith, right? And so we want to be careful in distinguishing, right, these, these different reasons. And we can say that these secondary issues that, that will divide us into denominations does not necessarily divide us from the unity of the Spirit. We can come alongside in partnership with the gospel, though we are a Baptist church. There are faithful uh, Presbyterian brothers and sisters who hold to the same gospel. So brothers and sisters, we want to maintain the unity that we have in the gospel. And yet, there are other distinctions that are over primary things, and so we, we want to be careful about something here. This call to be eager to maintain the unity. It is not up to us to hold the church together. We are not the glue that holds the church together. So our call, brothers and sisters, is to, uh, it's to remain united to that which does unite us, and that is Christ. In history, there have been churches, there have been Christians who will claim the name of Christ, and yet they, are, they, they live out of a, of a way that does not point us to Christ, a way that is contrary to what we see in Christ. That's why Paul is exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So, brothers and sisters, this eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit, let us understand that uh, there are divisions that arise over superficial issues. There is no place for that in the church. In fact, if there is division in the church arising out of superficial things, let that be an indication to us that we are missing out on the supreme unity that we have in Christ. Now, there are things that, that can divide. There are, there are times, even of great division, that there are, there are things that will divide us, and yet, brothers and sisters, we will not be divided. The church cannot be divided. We may disagree over many things. We may be... Uh, Red Sox fans or Yankees fans or fill in your sport blank. You might not even like baseball. You might lean left or right politically or we might disagree on theological issues, but brothers and sisters, our unity must be the unity that we have in Christ. And so we must place superficial disagreements aside. We must be willing to bear with one another in love. That is a hard call, right? We might not even disagree with people. We might just disagree with people's personalities. And yet, we must bear with one another in love. But we cannot compromise on the essential issues we must know what unites us. There is something very deep that unites us. In fact, we might think of this unity, right? We might wrongly think of this unity in terms of the way that the world would look at unity. Okay, you can have unity of vision as a corporation. 
You could be a team that has a unity of purpose in trying to win the game, right? And there is an extent to which this is a good analogy for the church, but there is an extent to which it falls far short. We are not merely on the same team with the same goal. Brothers and sisters, Scripture describes us as the same body. There is a oneness of mind that does not exist in the world. We are bound in in spirit, and not in spirit in the sense that we might say of, you know, oh, we, we were all of the same spirit. It's not in a vague sense. We are bound by the Holy Spirit. It is a single spirit. So let us not compromise things like the authority of Scripture, our need for a Savior, that we cannot bring ourselves up from the dead, but that we need someone to raise us. We need a Savior, and we need the Savior that is presented in Scripture. Let us not compromise on the substitutionary atonement. That is, that Christ alone has purchased our redemption through his blood. Brothers and sisters, we need the redemption that comes through Christ, and that is what binds us together. That is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of your call to Christ. But then we see in this that there is another calling. We see in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so after Paul says, we are all one, he then immediately says, we are all different. We've been given gifts according to the measure of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I exhort us, walk in a manner worthy of your individual call. So Paul says that Christ gives gifts He says in uh, verses 8 to 10, we get this uh, explanation where there have been many interpretations of this part. It's a tricky thing to understand, verses uh, 8 to 10. And yet, I want us to uh, not get caught in the weeds here. I want us to see that what Paul is saying can be found in verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What Paul says here is that it is because Christ is the ascended Lord who reigns above all things, who has ascended to the highest heaven. It is because of that that he is able to give gifts to his church. Right? It is similar to what Jesus says in John 16, 7 where he tells his disciples as he was getting ready to leave them, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it is because Christ has ascended that we have this helper, that we have been gifted And so, let us consider. It is good that Christ is the giver of these gifts. 
It is good and we should trust in the gifts that he has given to us individually. We must recognize that there is a uniqueness within the body of Christ. We've all been given gifts in different gifts in different measures. Let us understand that it is a good thing that Christ gives to the church as he sees fit. And now we see the gifts that he gives. It says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. So Christ gives the gift of teachers of the word. This is instructive for us. It it tells us that we need teaching from the word. And ministers have a unique role to fill. Those who would teach, those who God would place in a position of teaching, whether it's here in this pulpit or whether it is uh, in a Bible study, this, this is the challenge to those who would be placed in a position to teach. View this calling as a calling to equip. And now, this has application for all of us here today. As we sit under the preaching of the word, we must view this as a time of equipping. Do you see this as a time of equipping? A time of equipping for what? For ministry. That is what it says here. And so it is not only the ministers who work in ministry. No, brothers and sisters, we are all called to the service of ministry. We are all called to the service of the church. And so once again, I say, this is part of our calling, our individual calling. We are called to the church. So, while each of us have our individual callings, brothers and sisters, we all know that we have work to be done. We must do the work. And so, I hope that we can see this chance to be equipped as a great opportunity. And we must understand that the church will shine far brighter when we are all equipped to do the work of the ministry. We must all be equipped. And so, brothers and sisters, are you prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you? Do you feel equipped to do this? Do you know the hope that is in you? Are you filled with the knowledge of Christ that pours out at every opportunity? Do you recognize the unique opportunity that you have to shine into the lives of others that we can't just do from up here? No, brothers and sisters, we are all called to the ministry. There are pockets and places that you know and only you know that God has placed you and maybe God has placed you in those places to be a light to those who need the hope of the gospel who have never heard it. Or maybe there's a brother and sister who you know is in need of encouragement.
So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, do you sense the Lord leading you in ministry? Are there people in your life that God is calling you to, that God is calling you to serve? Do you feel equipped for this service? Let us come here looking to be equipped for this service. But brothers and sisters, also, if you need guidance, seek it. Seek it from God's word. Let that be the instruction. Remember, he gives those who would instruct in the word for equipping. But also, recognize those that Christ has gifted to equip the church. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to lean on one another. And lastly, as we continue in this passage, we see that it's starting in verse 14. It's the result of all this equipping, the result of walking in the manner to which you have been called in Christ and your individual calling and the result of Christ equipping the church with teachers. This is it. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so, brothers and sisters, the result of this is that we would no longer be children. We would no longer be children in our faith, tossed to and fro by the waves. We ought to reach levels of maturity in our faith that will guard us, that will protect us from the schemes of the enemy, that will protect us away from all falsehood, let us be grounded in truth until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Christ. That is what it means to be equipped, brothers and sisters. We must have our minds trained to recognize the truth, and we must have our minds trained to recognize what is false. We must cling to the truth. Let us cling to the truth. What does this mean? How do we come to know this? How do we become equipped, and come to full maturity in the faith. One thing is that we need to know our Bibles. We need to know our Bibles. That will guard us from being led astray. So this comes in part from sermons, from the instruction, from the equipping that comes from the pulpit. But it also comes from the scripture readings that we do on Sundays and it comes from a healthy diet of individual scripture intake. Brothers and sisters, do you spend time in the Word? I know life gets busy, life gets hard, we, we have plans. We want to spend time in the Word, but then life comes and we neglect this. We are starving ourselves if we neglect the Word of God. Let us see it as important as food. It's actually, let us see it as more important than food. If you have time to eat, you have time to be in the word of God. And we must mature, brothers and sisters, not just to be 
not led astray by falsehood, but do we have faith that will withstand the hardships of life? When there's unexpected loss, when there's great hardship, when we feel that the ground is coming out from beneath us, then have we reached a maturity? Have we attained to the maturity of faith and of the depth of knowledge to weather the storms of life? If you're not in a season like that now, One thing we can be sure of, brothers and sisters, is that that season will come. And let this now be a time of training, a time of equipping, so that we will be ready for when that day comes. If you do find yourself in this state, brothers and sisters, be encouraged by the body. Draw into the body. Do not pull away. Let us build each other up and encourage speaking the truth in love. So now, as we continue, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Last week, I hope we left here wanting the fullness of God, wanting to experience the fullness of God, Now, brothers and sisters, I tell us, if we want the fullness of God, the fullness of what is offered in Christ, we must grow up into our head. We must grow up into Christ. The result of being rightly equipped within the context of the church is that we would grow into the image of Christ, right? And so when I say, rightly equipped within the context of the church. I also mean that we are united to that head. So it is up to each of us individually, yes, we need to make that decision that Christ is Lord of our lives. But also, it goes beyond individual, individual personal relationship. I know that this is often emphasized that we can have an individual personal relationship with God, and that is an excellent truth. But Christianity is not a solo act. The body of Christ is not just individual parts that come together occasionally, and then we are attached. No, brothers and sisters, we are one body. We can't remain a separate part and be attached to the head. If I were a hand and I decided that I was going to become attached from my arm, right, or from an arm, I'm a hand, I decide I'll be attached, detached from an arm, I'm no longer attached to the head. I can't think as a hand, oh, I'll just attach myself straight to the head. It doesn't work. It can't work. That's not the way that God designed it. We're not at it alone. We can't be a solo act. This is why we need to gather And then, if we as a church, maybe we're attached to each other, we're tethered to each other, we are bound in peace, we are bearing up with one another, and it is hard, but we are doing it. We are are staying united to each other, but we lack unity with Christ. We are a body without a head. And a body without a head is dead. 
So if we want life, if we want unity in the church, brothers and sisters, I exhort all of us, look to him. Look to Christ. May we all be looking in one direction to our head and may we all be attached in unity. And let us know, brothers and sisters, that it is not human power that binds us together. No, God has bound us together as we continue We grow into Christ our head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Brothers and sisters, it is equipped by Christ. Christ binds us together. Let us not be bound by anything else, but let us be bound by the unity of the spirit that we have in Christ. This is not a natural thing. This is a supernatural thing. And so we look to Christ as our head. And lastly, as we conclude, let us note that the proper normal functioning of the church leads to the building up of itself in love. May we build up to the fullness of Christ. That is the normal thing. We see, we, we see Again, verses 15 and 16. We're growing into Christ our head from whom the whole body, verse 16, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? When each part is working properly. We are bound and dependent on one another. And so this is to say that when we are all walking in a manner worthy of this calling, the whole body grows. We are not separate islands. No, our, have you considered how your faith, how your pursuit of Christ impacts those around us, how it impacts the rest of the church? It's not only your faith that benefits from proper functioning. The whole church grows when we are rightly attached and fitted as Christ has fitted us to be. So let me end by reminding us of this great exhortation from Paul to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So brothers and sisters, may we all walk in a manner worthy of our calling for the building up of the church.